What's going on, Trophy Kids? We got a great one here for you today. We are recapping what was an incredible first opening weekend to the NCAA tournament, and then we are going over every game this weekend, talking about how we think it's going to play out, talking about what we think the Elite Eight and how those games will play out, and we've got a bet of the week for you. So it's a good one. Grab your popcorn. Let's go. Welcome to Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is March 22nd, and we are back after, for some, a brutal first two rounds. For some, an excellent first two rounds. For the two of us, we are still standing as far as our teams go. Xavier and Michigan State move on. How are you doing today, good sir? I am doing well. You know, I I was surprised by Michigan State, that vintage performance that they had, like they were playing at the beginning of the year. I will talk about some of their shooting woes, but man, I am excited to still be breathing this weekend and not be a fan of that team in um in Indiana that or either team in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. This uh I, I I got a little nervous with Xavier because the inconsistencies were there in that first game. What do you know? We said it here on this podcast. You cannot rely on the national media's narrative that like Xavier's defense is absolute garbage because in the last month it's gotten demonstrably better. Um, and what do you know? When we needed to stop, we got to stop. Jack Nungy, I love you in that first game with that absolute critical block at the end of the game. And then the second game rolled around and the guard play that we got out of our guys and like the Xavier offense came back alive and it was fun. It was fun basketball to watch finally. Um, but we're burying the lead. And the lead is, and I'm glad you're on here, is that the Big Ten is the most fraudulent conference in the country. (laughs) You might as well switch the acronym to Big F because, my God, is this conference loaded with frauds at the top. Purdue losing to Fairleigh Dickinson, which I hate using this analogy, but it's too perfect not to. The David versus Goliath fight because Fairleigh Dickinson was quite literally the smallest effective team in the field. They didn't even win their conference championship. They they got in because the NCAA has the dumbest rule possible with this four-year grace period, so Merrimack can't play in the tournament. They had to win their game. Then they came in and pestered them like a bunch of gnats, and down goes Purdue, the most fraudulent team in what is apparently the most fraudulent conference of the country right now. Okay, that is the narrative that we're hearing. So first, let me address the Purdue-FDU um, game. They had a game plan. They stuck to it. They sped Purdue up, and every single time Edie had the ball in his hands, they threw three people at him and dared, sometimes four, and dared Purdue to hit the three. Now, what they understood is something that other teams have not understood is that Purdue isn't great at shooting the three. They're about 30 35% from three. Um, What Purdue is really good at is hitting clutch threes. Um, and so that's what Purdue was banking on there. Um, it didn't work. Also, at a certain point, Purdue's guards have to be to blame. Feed your big man, kick it back out, feed him again. The FDU is literally the shortest team in the NCAA tournament, which means if you get Zach Eady anywhere near the cup, all he has to do is put the ball in. It should have, that's what, but because of their, inability to refeed him after he kicks it out it becomes an issue but also if that's what you're not going to do that means that when you are breaking those threes you need to be crashing the boards and you and i talked about this how important it was for teams to crash the boards um in the early games especially against these hungry opponents um 
and we'll talk about this. You saw that in the Marquette game, Marquette Michigan State game. Mm-hmm. Um, saw that in every Providence game this or Providence piece or uh, <laughs> Princeton game this weekend, just crashing yes, the board and getting their own shots absolutely. and stuff. Yep, absolutely. So there's that. Now let me address this claim about the Big Ten being problem. <laughs> First of all, we already knew that the Big Ten was down this year, right? That was the narrative. I don't know. Candace Parker said on TV like. We came into the season knowing the Big Ten was going to be one of the best conferences, and look at what they did. Uh, no, we came in this season knowing that the Big Ten was down this year. So let me address a few things. Purdue is not they they there's no grace for Purdue. Maryland played Alabama in the second round. What did you expect for them to do? It's true, right? True. Iowa and Auburn was eight and nine seed. That's a toss up. Which we did say on the show, thank goodness, out on Iowa. Like, I was, yeah, I yeah. said it, I was like, I am out on this Iowa program. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Well, I can't get shamed again, if, if we all know what we're talking about here. I'm out on Purdue going forward, too. The same principles yeah. now apply, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but at least we Penn were out on State, that. What did you want Penn State to do against Texas? They had a convincing win against Texas A&M, right, as the smaller seed, as the, as the underdog in that game. And then they went out and played Texas, who just played lights out. I don't know what you want Penn State to do. They played very, they played very well. Illinois, there's no excuse for Illinois there. I still think Illinois should have beat Arkansas, but we know that Illinois has been inconsistent all year. Also, that's why I didn't pick Illinois over Arkansas. And then Northwestern had to play UCLA, which a lot of people have winning their brackets. So in all honesty, I mean, Michigan State is the only team standing in the Sweet 16 um, Indiana's loss to Miami was brutal, and that deserves to be talked about. But Michigan State went out there as the seventh seed and beat the two seed and the 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 regular season champs of the Big East, right? Yeah. Which so it, I I think my problem is, and it still is to this day, is the last three years the Big Ten has gotten the most teams into the tournament, and yet we have seen only what now two. Make it to the second weekend in that. And in that period, Purdue, one of the kind of top-tier teams in the conference, has lost to North Texas. They have lost to, um, oh, my God, who was it? It was just last last year. Yeah. uh, Peacocks. Yes, there we go. St. Petersburg. God, I can't believe I blanked on their name for a second. And then you've got this one, the second one seed losing to the 16th seed, which UVA is thanking their lucky stars because arguably I would I would say this one is almost even worse um, due to the fact that FDU didn't even win their conference. It was a playing team and like all that that goes with it. Um, it, it it's just there seems to be an over-evaluation of Big Ten teams compared to the rest of conferences because they keep getting the most teams into the tournament. And I don't think you can argue at this point that they are the best equipped right now to handle tournament play or to handle these different starts, which honestly, that might be the genius of Izzo is realizing that the Big Ten system right now is not what is needed to to win in March. So he goes out and they schedule as many different styles of basketball as he can face for his teams to get ready. He doesn't put a huge emphasis on winning. I mean, the Big Ten winning the Big Ten is a nice... Nice caveat, but I don't think anybody's out here saying Izzo really he's won cares. So many, yeah, like yeah. like he cares, but he's also he gives he cares more about having his guys grind through playing a ton of different types of style of basketball early in the season, and then using that to get better. And he's no problem getting out early in the Big Ten championship or the Big Ten conference uh, tournament. tournament. Yeah, um, 
and there is this kind of risk versus reward type of thing. And I just think Big Ten basketball as a whole is in trouble because they lack, at least right now, the one thing you need in March, and that is guard play. It is too much. Um, I don't know. You may Rel- may have a different relying on a big man. Yeah, it's like way yeah. too much. And and big, you know, big centers. And let's be sure. honest, the NCAA doesn't want the big boys banging down low. There's no big boy banging down low in in March. So we've got that going now. It sucks because you have teams where, like, you got Iowa, you got Purdue, where, like, if you don't have a big man to match up with them, then they're just going to kill you all game. But like you said, the game of basketball is evolving, so the Big Ten is in this weird position. Like, look at look at Penn State, right? A team that is basically just trying to shoot threes until it's all out. They almost beat Purdue doing that same thing. Um, and it's... <sighs> It's interesting. Do you, I I think what the Big Ten has to do is if we're going to stay with these big men, right? You want these big fives, um, you want these big forwards, right? Then they have to move like LeBron James. Yeah. Right. They they got to move like KD, and that's that's it. Like there is no I Zach Eady is a student. He's a kid, but the the game has passed him by, right? That style of play by. Yeah. What I guess what uh what do you do if you're Matt Painter and Purdue? Because like Quit. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think this is like you gotta take the old, you know, what's it the old um legacy of Japanese generals where they just fall on their swords. I, I think Matt Painter's just gotta if he has respect for the program, just walk out the door because this isn't getting much better with what has happened. And this I guess has been a theme too for Purdue because if you if you look at their past, they they hang they are great at hanging regular season banners. But when it comes to March, they seemingly throughout their entire history just choke it away. Is Matt Painter's inability to coach in late game situations against an unknown opponent? We said this before. Matt Painter is not a great crunch time coach. And every game in March is going to come down to crunch time. We have, I mean, the blowouts that we've seen are few and far. Yeah. And don't let these scores fool you, right? Because a lot of a lot of games were very close up to thirty or forty second marks, and then like free throws and stuff inflated the scores. Yep. I, I mean, we, and we did sort of hint this. I mean, as viewers of Trophy Kids podcast, I hope you all took our our advice, listeners. And, yeah, listeners, and <laughs> and listened to us when we said Purdue is the most arguably the most fraudulent, weakest one we've seen in a long time. That's why we had them only winning one game in our bracket. So overall, we're sitting pretty because we didn't have them going super far now. We got screwed on Memphis. Um, Memphis got absolutely screwed in that game. Um, I feel bad for them at that point. So that kind of screwed us there. throwing his bottle across the floor. Did you see that? Yeah, just chucking it. Um, <laughs> chucking it, yeah. And Kansas State doing well. That whole east side, and we said it, it, it was giving me heartburn trying to break it down. It is by far the worst side of the bracket. It's not even close. Like the entire right side, we are, we're sitting pretty right now. But Cruising man. Right in the west, yeah. Yep. Kansas going down was a surprise. Kansas was, yeah. I mean, Less so once you realize Bill Self isn't on the bench for that one, and right. and things can that starts to get harder. But definitely, yeah, a, a a surprise. But that's also, I think, at this point, Mr. March and waiting. I mean, once Izzo goes down, I think we we got to talk about the fact that now 
Arkansas has a real chance to go to three Elite Eights in the last three years. I mean, they're one way win away from doing that again here. They have a winnable game against UConn. That's going to be an awesome game, yes, um, which we can great. dive into more to. But, like, I think this is sort of – that program is now the junior Mr. March program. Yeah, I, I wonder if Dan Hurley is better at situational coaching than Musselman. Yeah, we'll see. I I think we can break that one down a little bit more too once we get into yeah. it. Um, the one last cleanup I have is I think Indiana fans are never going to travel to the state of Florida because both their women's teams and men's teams get knocked out by Miami basketball, especially because Indiana women's women team women's team was the number one seed. Yes, <laughs> and for both teams to get dethroned by Miami. Oh, I think this and not even close game. Well, I guess the women's game was closer because um, it was the go ahead layup yeah. that she hit. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, but still, that is I don't know how often that has happened, but nah. <laughs> hilarious. First of all, um, sec- also, again, with uh, we're talking about a, a slow wing like Trace Jackson Davis is one of the greatest basketball players in March. He can't wheel he without good guard play, he can't go deep in March. Yeah, this was the other thing that I'm mad at myself about because I literally sat here and was like, I do not understand this Indiana Kool-Aid that we're drinking. But then again, I also was like, Miami's guards are too small. That's the real note to future Nate. Because this, this is becoming, we got to make this note to ourselves. Small guards might be the answer in March. Because we look at Tyson. I, I, I was gonna say we kept, we saw it in the Miami game, we saw it here in the Purdue game, I saw it in the Xavier game where that in what was Michigan it State game, Michigan so, State yes. game, but that number one kid for Kennesaw State would just get like shoulder level with our kneecaps and just be dribbling around getting fouls every time. It was the most frustrating basketball I've ever watched in my life. And so you it's saw like, it in um, the oh you said that in the K State game. Or uh, Kennesaw State versus Xavier. Same oh, yeah, thing with that, Kansas but State, also too. in the Kansas State versus Kentucky game, you saw it. Yeah. So, like, maybe small guards are the answer. Like, I, I'm over here thinking, like, no, the bigger the bigger guard teams are going to play the best. But, no, it's the, all these small guard Because that's the only reason I read off Miami in that game. The only reason we sat here and talked about it was, like, I think the guards are too small. Little did I know, that is the secret to success in March, apparently. Right. Which is, like, the most counterintuitive thing ever. <laughs> Um, any other cleanup or storylines from the first weekend you want to talk about before we, we get into the games this weekend? I mean, if you looked at my bracket for the Midwest and the West and you took those plays, I'm pretty sure, or you took those calls, oh, I'm pretty we're sure doing... that you are up in your your current bracket pool. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> the trophy kids are sitting pretty. We did a yeah. phenomenal job of picking the right side of the bracket. Yes, now, granted, we, we also said last week that the left side is a nightmare hellscape. <laughs> it was giving me I like... I think we even hinted at it for the Alabama. Like, we said Alabama has a cakewalk, cakewalk, but we also said we don't know how to call a lot of these other games. Yeah. And, of course, I had Arizona going to the Elite Eight, but meanwhile, I was over here like, they give big, dumb play energy. And, of course, that's yeah. exactly what happened in the Princeton game. They just did not play well um and i wasn't expecting creighton to play just on with their hair on fire i i told you doug mcdermott is in his bag and that's a game that i i, I have a bet for that game i'm going to need you to check me on this one but like doug mcdermott i, I perfectly pixelated the big east in a nutshell which was marquette is a very soft two they had a fantastic season 
I did think Marquette was going to get to the second weekend. They really played the worst game I think I've ever seen them play all season. I mean, they, at one point, what was it? They had like nine, ten turnovers in like a span of. Michigan State doesn't force turnovers and force fifteen or sixteen turnovers against Marquette. Yeah, it was just Marquette a, doesn't turn the ball over. Correct. It's just crazy. Like it was the <laughs> yeah. worst game I've seen Marquette playing. It was already going to be a tough game because we both sat here and thought Michigan State was going to give them a really tough outing. But like, man, but they were soft too, so we didn't have them going super far. They were losing to K State next week. And then I was honest about Providence. They were going to lose to Kentucky. They were, you know, running out of gas. Ooh, that's probably one is the Ed Cooley storyline. The Big East in general. Yeah. The Big East is, is, is having the greatest week of its life. I mean, six teams made it. They went seven for two in the tournament. All their, all their kind of fringe elite eight, you know, we have UConn in potentially final four category type of deal, um, are all performing really well. And then you've got coaching scandals left and right. And that that's... That is reminiscent of old school Big East, where like the coaching personality stood out. You got Ed Cooley heading to Georgetown. You got Rick Pitino coming back into St. John's, and the money that's pouring into that program now because he's back there. Um, You know, Penn State's head coach might end up getting the Providence job. He's rumored for that, which would be a huge get. I mean, all these programs are so healthy right now. Um, Big East basketball is back. It's a power five. It's a power five conference. Okay, it's a power five conference, folks. It's awesome. I love it. Now they're saying that, you know, Micah is probably – might go to Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm going to be real interested to see what Providence gets there. Providence, oof, man. Mikey Overs, uh, that man might single-handedly have cursed the Providence Friars um, because after he cut that video post-Savior game – saying some real ignorant stuff about Xavier basketball. I mean, Xavier basketball and Mikey Overs literally have killed the Providence Friars because from that moment on, it's just L, 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 Ed Cooley leaving. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Although I do think Ed Cooley, like what Georgetown is looking for, right, to bring them back to sustained relevance, Ed Cooley is probably the right hire. There. Oh, it just perfect. sucks that you're doing it with inside your own. Yeah, uh, conference perfect yeah. hire for Georgetown because I mean this is a team desperate for a rebuild. He yep. did that at PC. He yep. can he can get the most out of his players. We've seen guys get into the Providence system and the growth they have over four years. He's in a target rich environment from a recruiting standpoint in the DMZ, especially like even if you're not getting DMV. The DMZ, I keep doing that. <laughs> I grew up there and I keep messing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're not getting the star guys, the B-level guys that come out of that region are phenomenal. Um, you're going to have a ton of money because you've got the Jordan deal. You've got a, a, a another team that is just they're desperate to get back to to national prominence. So they're they're going to do what it takes to get there. And you have a guy that's not shady, like Ed Cooley's not a shady character, and that's what you need at Georgetown. Um, so yeah, a, a phenomenal hire on their part. And you're talking about a school that is dedicated to their basketball program. That's the best part of the Big East, too, is all these schools, that's all we have. We live and die by college basketball. That is what makes our years. That is that is where our hopes and dreams are tied up for. All of our money and resources go into basketball because we don't have football to fall back on. We can't be out here like all these Big Ten schools who just lose and are like, well, we're football schools. We don't care. Wow. The slander. Hey, look, Michigan <laughs> State is still in it. This is very true. Mr. March, Mr. March is still here. He's not giving up that title yet. Um, all right. No, let's... If anything, he solidified it this past weekend. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, I, and that was so funny, too, because we were sort of hinting at that, where it's like, man, this team, 
they might have some like Tom Izzo magic in them. They're sort of flying way under the radar. Mm-hmm. You know, they're progressively getting better. Um, it, it it very much felt like, oh shit, this team could be a little dangerous. But then again, I, I thought Marquette was going to have a better showing than they did. And, and that's yeah. on me, I guess. And we can talk about it, but yeah. All right. Let's talk some basketball. Alabama, San Diego State. We had this as the game this weekend mm-hmm. to kick it off. It kicks off Friday. Well, it doesn't kick off the weekend, but it kick- it's no. 6.30 on Friday. Um, right now, Alabama is looking at a 7.5-point favorites situation here. Over-under is at 137.5. Oh, man. This is... Alabama's bracket to lose, which we sort of said to begin with, but man, this San Diego State team is dangerous, and I don't want to say it, but they they may be the best team San Diego State's had, or at least since Kawhi was there, because mm-hmm. the way they play this weekend, now they got an easy draw, they didn't have to play Virginia, they played Furman, and then they got Charleston, but they're doing exactly what we sort of anticipated they would do stepping into this to this um, tournament, so I guess the question is, can they hold off Alabama here um, to start off their their, uh, second weekend here on Friday? Uh, So this is a game of the turtle and the hare, right? Where Alabama just gets up and down the court lazy speed, right? Brandon Miller is, by the time the ball is off the rim on the other side, he is already dunking or taking a mid-range shot. You know, at his own basket, whereas San Diego State's whole M.O. is to slow you down and keep possessions low, keep the score low and just um, make you play through, make you actually do plays. Right. No broken plays. They're going to let you they will let you set up an offense, but then they're going to keep you in that offense. Right. Here's here's what I'm thinking, Nate. I don't think San Diego State has an, has enough scorers to beat Alabama. Even if they slow Alabama down, and even if this is a close game, that the firepower just isn't there for San Diego State. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. I think I think they have a real shot to potentially cover the seven. I put this game yeah. somewhere yeah. in like the four or five range. Um, I, so I think they have a shot at the seven. They have to be careful though, because as you 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 stated, if Alabama, I mean they. They can put it on you very quickly. Um, but I do think that the style that, that San Diego State plays is going to create a lower-scoring game, which then creates a little bit more variety here for potentially taking them if you want to take an underdog this weekend. I I, I don't hate them as one um, at 7.5, but I don't, I don't really see a path unless Miller for Alabama just decides... To have an to off night, play. yeah, and not play. Like I just, I don't see a yeah. path here for for San Diego State to win this game. It doesn't even matter if Alabama gets off to a slow start in this game because that's going to play towards San Diego State. But then, like San Diego State is still going to let them score. Mm-hmm. I think, I think if San Diego State wants to win this game, they have to keep Alabama under seventy points. The moment Alabama reaches seventy, it's game over. I 100% agree with that. I think that's a great mile marker. Um, and 100% agree with that. Thank you. Um, I didn't have a ton on that game. The game I do have a ton on, and I, I'm going to need you to check me if not, <laughs> is Princeton Creighton. The line is set at nine and a half. Over under is 140. I think Creighton is absolutely about to body 
Princeton. Now, the thing that makes me nervous is Princeton, we talked about this coming into the tournament, teams that can get their own rebounds, they hit the glass hard. Ninth in the country in rebounding just total. They hit the glass hard offensively, but Doug McDermott is in his back. This Creighton team, you saw it against Baylor, which I, which we called for on this show, I called for, was going to surgically pick apart that team. That's exactly what they did. And I do worry that te- these these kind of Cinderella teams, the Princetons of the world, you know, there's so much adrenaline and emotion that almost carries you in that second game of the first weekend. But now you've had a week off. And now you've got a coach, Doug McDermott, who is really in his bag this season when it comes up to scheming teams and being able to pick them apart and attack their weakness, which he did with Baylor's pretty, ball, pretty boy style um, basketball. And the offensive efficiency there. I'm having a really hard time not laying a responsible but large wager on Creighton here. So the Ryans are healthy, right? The Ryans are playing. I honestly don't see Creighton. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't see Princeton getting past that duo. Yeah. I don't know if Creighton, or I'm sorry. I don't know if Princeton has seen a team. Princeton is one of the most versatile teams in the tournament, and we've seen them win because teams haven't been able to adjust to that. Creighton isn't going to try to adjust to Princeton. They're going to play their game. They're going to let – his name is like Nimhard, right? Yep. The other the – <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to let Nimhard, right? They're going to let him – I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I just watch the game sometimes. I don't. <laughs> yeah, dude, my brain is mush after this past weekend. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you. They're going to let Nimhar direct traffic. And then when he gets in trouble, they're going to they're gonna pass it right down to um, Kalkenbrenner. And that's going to be up. That's going to be the game. I'm telling you, this is not this is not rocket science for Creighton. If Creighton sticks to that plast, that plan, let your guard do direct traffic and let your center score when Princeton gives up that lane. I, this might be a blowout. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and, and that's the dangerous thing about these fairy tales is they either they kind of push themselves all the way, or that it gets ugly really quick, really fast. And I think this game is getting real ugly, and it is my bet of the week. I do have Creighton. I'm laying the points at nine and a half. I I'm having a hard time arguing. The only thing that makes me nervous is the way in which Princeton showed that they can rebound the ball, and they've done it consistently this season. Now, but Creighton's going to be hard Creighton to do that against. Yes, yeah, yeah. bigger than the the teams they play too, though. But any team that can, and that's one of the reasons I loved UConn. Now, obviously, UConn is a lengthy, big team, so there, there's yeah. not the issue there. But the way they can get their own shots, if if they're they're having trouble hitting shots, they're getting second opportunities, and that was the key to Princeton's success was just their ability to manufacture second shot opportunities from hitting the glass hard. And so that's the only thing is like maybe that trend can keep up for them. But like you said, I like Creighton size-wise is a real problem. But we did <laughs> yeah. just say that the parent, shorter teams are just the way to go in March. But yeah, I have a I'm putting I'm putting my a lot of my eggs into the Creighton bet basket this weekend. That's shorter teams are the way to go in March if you're playing a slower opponent or if you're playing an opponent stuck to one to a one trick pony. If you are a team like Creighton where you are talented one through five, right? Mm-hmm. And your and your seven one center, he doesn't move like a guard, but he's agile too. That changes the game plan up for you. So when we're saying like small guards, that's not niche. But I still take a versatile, talented team one through five over just two good guards every time. 100% agree. Now, we did have the Elite 
eight matchup wrong because we had Arizona meeting Alabama yeah. here. But yes. if Creighton does, if if Princeton ends up there, Alabama's steamrolling them. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, oh, I don't it's even. Not even it's not worth watching. Yeah, that's not yeah. worth it. So let's talk about Creighton, Alabama. Now the question becomes: Does Creighton have enough juice to push through to a Final Four? I don't think so, based stylistically on how Alabama plays. But I think there's an opportunity that at least initially, if Creighton can get hot initially, that it could be a really fun game to watch and something that kind of makes you sweat until the end. Alabama, again, sometimes gets off to slow starts. If that happens, Creighton has to exploit that. Creighton has to go into halftime leading by 14 or 15. Yep, I'm 100% with you. 100% That's the only way they win that game. Creighton has and to even get... Still, even still, they could go in at... Speaking from a team that was up by 14 or 15, yeah. you can go into halftime leading by 14 or 15, and Alabama oh. will come out and drop 16. Uh, ask Xavier. I was going to say, just drop. ask Xavier, who was down 14 <laughs> yeah. at one point, and then just start ripping it off. And But that was Kennesaw State. They need to get off to a really fast start, and they didn't get off to as fast of a start as they needed and build a big enough lead because guard play is dangerous, and we're going to get to that side. I'm so excited to talk about that side of the bracket. No. But we got to get so the left no, side. I don't think there's any reality in which – Creighton wins that game. All right, fair enough. I I, I do not disagree with that. And um, if Princeton gets there, like you said, it was. Th- thank you for making it to the Elite Eight. Here's your consolation yeah. prize. Ha- <laughs> be proud of being able to hang that Sweet Sixteen banner in Elite Eight banner it, that you made it there in your your hall, basketball hall. But it's it's game set match. Yeah, um, this is over. <laughs> let's talk about the worst bracket in the history of brackets. The, the, the division that was what my nightmares were made of and our nightmares came true. The East. The Beast in the East. FAU versus Tennessee starts this bad boy off. Tennessee, I apparently was out on too early. Um, I yeah. was perfect on Iowa. I'm going to now forever be out on Purdue. I ended up, I got Tennessee wrong. Tennessee, I think a lot of people got it wrong, though, because the Tennessee team we saw in that Duke game at least for me, reminded me of what I thought Tennessee was going to be entering this season, and then they weren't that, and they've sort of come around. Now they're going up against an FAU team that people are really hating for what they did to FDU. Talk to me about what you think this matchup looks like or, or how you think this one can break down. And for those listeners at home, the spread is 4.5. Tennessee is the favorite. Over-under is 130.5. FAU, in my opinion, doesn't stand a chance in this game. Um, for two reasons. One, FAU, when trying to exploit larger opponents, lar- um, rely heavily on a three-point. And two, Tennessee is the number three or number two uh, uh, three-point, or have the, is the number two or number three best deep three-point defenders in the country. Yep. Plus, FAU is tiny, right? They're, they're only a little bit bigger than... Um, they're only they were only a little bit bigger than FDU to be honest. Whereas the Vols guard is almost taller than most of <laughs> FAU's team. So um, I don't think I know some analysts have this game really close, but I don't really think it's going to be that close. I think this is like an eight point nine point game. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I it do, basketball fans are getting soft. People are hating the FAU team for what they did at the end of the game. If that had been Duke or any other team, I guess the problem is they were punching down, essentially. Yeah, they're punching down. But, dude, yeah. I'm to the point of, like, 
I don't know if this program is ever going to be back here in this spot. I get the kid trying to do it out there. Was it the best look? No, because you're playing against a fairly Dickinson team that shouldn't have been here, but they just beat Purdue. I, I just didn't care enough. People were like, act like you've been here before. They've never been here before. They're not. They're probably not going to be back here in this situation. And th- had this been any other program, they wouldn't care. Um, but I think they're going to come into this game very hated, which is hilarious because it should be they're the opposite underdog. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm no. Per- I'm no Tennessee fan. I would love to see FAU upset Tennessee. I just don't think it happens. I don't either. I'm with you. Also, here's the thing: if FAU upsets Tennessee, and let's just talk. Let's put on Dante conspiracy. Right. <laughs> if FAU beats Tennessee and it is FAU versus either K State or Michigan State, who wants to watch that game? Nobody. Nobody. I, no. They're going to get curb stomped. <laughs> like literally yeah. curb yeah, stomped. Whoever they play, whether they play Kansas State or Michigan State, and this is not even being a Michigan State homer, homer that game is just going to be a, a slaughter. Yeah. No, I'm I'm 100% with you. And, at, and the way Kansas State played, which leads us right into this awesome, awesome matchup to kick off the Thursday night slot. Michigan State-Kansas State, the line is one and a half. Michigan State is the favorite, which did surprise me, to be honest. Over under 137 and a half. Kansas State, was in, I was incredibly high on them. The family, every tournament, every Super Bowl, they send me money, and they're like, all right, put put out there for your best bet. And my bet I put on them was Kansas State is making the Sweet 16. We are incredibly high on them in our bracket. How could yes. you not be after watching what they did um, last week? And I mean, just an, Newell just alone was phenomenal to watch. Um, Keontae Johnson, great. Like, they're, they're, just the whole team was a lot of fun. But now they are running in to Mr. March, a Michigan State team that had two tough Tough matchups, I would say. I think USC was yeah. was flying way under the radar, but a, a good basketball program coming into this. And this isn't making, this isn't me trying to you know make Dante feel good, as I said already. The Big Ten is a fraudulent con- conference, but it's true. Michigan State has had a, a tough road. They beat the best team. Are now once again, this is one of those things where like just because you win your regular season doesn't mean you're the best team. Hard to argue against that though Marquette because they won the, the conference tournament and the regular season and the regular season right, right. so right. tough to do that but we did say they were soft too but nonetheless a two and a very good basketball team and they made them do something that they have not done all season which is turn over the ball so Michigan State comes in this game very very competitive how do you see this one breaking down so two things one I think it's unfair that we have to play a team from Manhattan in Manhattan yes, you know. <laughs> it's just unfair <laughs> Noel's gonna have a big I would assume Noel's gonna have a big crowd there. <laughs> yeah. Uh Tyson and both both Marquise and Tyson are uh Marquise and Tyson are both from New York. They're both New York natives. So it's homecoming for them, which is a great storyline, which again makes me think this is rigged, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um here's the thing. With the last two games, Izzo had to figure out how to contain USC's guard, which I'm blanking on his name, and uh, All-American, one of the best guards in the country, Tyler Collett. We had to figure – he had to figure out how to contain them. And A.J. Hogard did his homework and contained both of them, keeping them at season lows. Kolick, I think, had two or four points going into the second half. So um, just took them completely out of their game. Do I think that we can take – Take Noel out of his game? Absolutely. But can you take both him and Keontae Johnson out of the game? That's oh, the question. Yeah. 
I don't know if there's enough ponies in the in the stable to do it. I I, I do think this. I think the line. I would have made K State the favorite. I don't have a huge problem. Michigan State's the favorite. I would have made it about a one, maybe two point line anyway. This is going to be a nail biter of a game. Awesome way to start off the weekend. Yeah. Um, this is the game of who makes the fewest mistakes. Yes, I was literally just about to go there. <laughs> it is who offensively takes the least, as Sean Miller would call it, the least fucked up shots, and who defensively doesn't have a brain fart in a critical point. Because that's, I do think that's where it's going to go. I think throughout the first half of this game, the second half is going to be not only about who made the most adjustments, but who doesn't have a brain fart defensively because there is a real opportunity here that like you said if you're not constantly checking both these guys for k-state keontae johnson or noel you're in trouble because whichever one isn't getting buckets at the time the other one is more than capable of doing it and that's what makes this team so much fun and why we were so high on this team is because they just have two guys that can get you buckets whenever you need a bucket and it's so hard to to face that and i Michigan State could do it. I'm not going to say yes, they're not because absolutely. everything you just laid out is is exactly how they could do it because they showed this last weekend that they are more than capable about shutting down good offenses. Marquette, who's an offensive team, put up only 60 points against them. Like, turned over the ball like crazy. You had USC only get 62 against them. Like, this is a team that can do it defensively. It's just really hard to run with this team for a full game because, like you said, they have the two-headed monster. That is, it's a bear to deal with. Yeah, I don't. My basketball brain is saying that this is a close game, but that Kansas State wins a close game comfortably, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like Michigan State is pestering them, might like scare them. But at, if when you go back and look at the game, Kansas State was never in any real position to lose because of Keontae Johnson and Marquise. On the other hand, I said this against Shaka Smart. Ken Izzo out coach K State. That is that is the problem. Um <laughs> because the answer is yes, I would say. Yes. hundred percent so. this is less down to talent. I think talent wise talent wise you pick K State every single time. You don't even don't even blink. Yeah, I, I think if this is a close game where you it it comes down to literal coaching, is there's a reason Vegas put Michigan State as a one and a half point two point favor um, over the weekend because you know that Tom Izzo is worth at least two or three points in coaching. Yep, I agree. Think, think about this in that Mar- in that Marquette game, I, and I talked about this with my friends that we were watching the game with. I would not have the wherewithal for Malik Hall getting that offensive rebound, passing it out to Tyson Walker, and calling that timeout immediately. I would have a hundred percent let them play and try to run the clock out. That is veteran coaching right there. I would have never made that call. 100%. I don't know how many coaches would have made that because you have the ball in your hand. Why even? But if you think about it, oh, if they foul or take the ball away or and then go down and hit a three, now we are, all of a sudden are in a very tight game rather than winning this comfortably now. Yeah, I agree. This is what makes it tough. Now, we had in our bracket Kansas State advancing, yes, we but Kansas we also State had it because they were playing Marquette as opposed to Michigan State, which it's all about the matchups, folks. 
styles make fights, and this is a great fight to start off the weekend of some yeah. really incredible battles, especially when we get to the other side of the bracket, where I think the level of basketball we're about to see on the right side of the bracket this weekend could be special. Um, but then that leads us to who do we think gets out of this bracket then? Because they're gonna one of these two teams is going to face Tennessee. Do we think that the winner of this game is slingshot into the Final Four? Or do we think Tennessee has enough power to put the brakes on that train that is running away that if it's Michigan State, it's a runaway train? If it's Kansas State, it's, they're there, they are there because they should be there. We thought they were going to be there. But can Tennessee throw the brakes on them? Okay, so let me throw in my hot takes here. <laughs> and this is going to make no, no sense. Two things. If Michigan State wins this game, Michigan State is on a run. Tennessee plays a slow, slog, half-court game. Tom Izzo will love that. Yeah. <laughs> he will love that because you're going to let him set up his offense. You're going to let – that is going to lead to a bunch of dribble handoffs, which Tom Izzo is addicted to. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. He's addicted. Oh, that was the other thing in the Marquette game, right? Shaka Smart is very much a student of Tom Izzo in some aspects. And I said this when we were playing. I was like – Marquette does a bunch of dribble handoffs. If you watch any Michigan State game, that's what we do. Izzo is going to exploit that. And how many times did you see AJ or Tyson step right in the middle of that lane and take the ball away? Yep, 100%. (laughs) Um, But anyway, there's that. I think that they play too slow of a game for a hot Michigan. And that's the other thing, a hot Michigan State team. I think Michigan State can get to the Final Four um, playing Tennessee, um, to be honest with you, playing that half-court game. On the other side, that same argument I just made about them playing in the half court and uh, Michigan State exploiting that, I think K-State versus Tennessee, I think Keontae Johnson is too much for them on that small, playing that half court offense, that half court defense. I think Keontae Johnson has a field day and beats them by himself. The only way I see Kansas State losing that game is if it is an absolute war with Michigan State to the point in which both Noel, they're just drained and their legs are gone. That is the only way, which I don't even think it's going to get to that point where it's just up and down, up and down, up and down war. Like, I don't think that's the style we're going to end up seeing in that Michigan State game. So I'm not too worried about it. I feel very confident telling the listeners right now that whoever comes out of this Michigan State-Kansas State game is going to the Final Four. That That is my opinion on this matter. I think this is the game in the bracket. I, Tennessee's had a phenomenal season, way better in the tournament than I had expected. I was out on them. I thought Rick Barnes was going to piss it away like he does every year, especially because the team was sort of disappointing, I think, in the regular season. I think it's totally fair to say that what, versus the preseason hype they kind of came in with. But yeah, I think that the Michigan State-Kansas State game for the viewers is the springboard game to the Final Four in this in this bracket. Yeah. Also, I don't think Tennessee scores enough points. I agree. And even against even against a Michigan State team, I don't think that they score enough. Because like you said, Michigan State is going to take your season average and lower it by five or ten points. Win or lose, they're going to lower your season, your season scoring average. Yep, completely agree. All right, let's move to the right side of the bracket. And we start with Miami versus Houston. The yes. line's at 7.5, over under 137.5. Am I shocked Miami is here? A little bit, because I thought their guards were going to be a little too small. But am I crazy surprised, given the coach they have, given the speed and talent in which they can play the game at, the guard play that they're getting? No. This team is ready to play, but they are running into right now a team that is, even though we said is a, a weaker one, 
is playing like an absolute buzzsaw. Now, granted, they played Northern Kentucky and Auburn, but they embarrassed Auburn. Like, they they took Bruce Pearl and put his brain into a blender. Um, And, like, that Auburn team was not ready for the moment. So, can Miami go in there and slay the dragon of the number one seed in this bracket? Or does Houston continue to kind of just pile it on, get to the lead eight, and then play a, a very competitive team coming out of that bottom bracket? Can Sasser and Wong put together a game where they keep Miami, or keep Miami, keep the Cougars out of the paint, keep the Cougars off of the off the uh, boards, and make the Cougars shoot threes? Can Isaiah and Sasser play both phenomenally on offense and defense uh, for forty minutes? I think that's what this comes down to. Um, Like, um, I'm sorry, Ken Sasser versus Wong is what I'm trying to say. Can they, like, what does that dynamic look like? Can can Wong force Sasser to play on the perimeter and not get in? Can can Sasser um, turn Wong over? I, I honestly don't know with this game. My gut tells me to pick Miami. But Houston is the number one seed for a reason. Even if they're a soft one, they're the number one seed for a reason. Yep. My concern with this, too, is I don't know if Miami has the defensive discipline because they haven't That's shown it yes. throughout the season to, to to stop them. And that is the same thing that I said with Gonzaga, which we'll talk about in a little bit. At some point, that has to bite you in the butt. Yes. Does it happen in this game? I don't know because I can also see this just being – an absolute sprint to the finish because if Miami comes in and gets hot, this is an offense that can pour it on you. I mean, they pl- they play at the eighth highest efficiency level offensively yes. in the country. You know, they shoot from the field at the ninth highest efficiency level. Like this is a team that if they're getting their shots off and creating their shots, very much can hang with Houston. But the yeah, but you're also talking about a. A healthy Houston, right? Presumably, correct. Yeah, that's the yeah. other problem. I was gonna say, what what Houston do we get? Because they can't stay healthy right now. I, right. I think Houston gets the play here, wins the game. Yeah, I think Houston wins. But I don't hate. I'm not betting it, but I don't hate potentially sprinkling a little money on an over or a Miami on the spread type of deal. Because, like I said. Miami, can, if they can get their shots, they're going to be right there with Houston. The problem is they can't yes. really, they have yet to show, except for they did do it in the Indiana game to a point, show an ability to play consistent basketball, defensive basketball. Um, right. That's which exactly is the problem. what I'm trying to say is like, yeah. can Miami sustain defense? Can, can Wong play that? the whole time and yep. like force those turnovers or at least just keep your player contained. That's the other thing that like sometimes bother me, bothers me about college basketball is like, I don't need you to steal the ball. I don't need you to block every shot. Yep. Keep your man contained. That's all I really need you to do. Let your rest of the team figure it out. Yep. I can't remember the team. There's a team out there. They're still in the tournament. I can't remember because I'll probably look it up here at some point, but they're like, they give up an enormous amount of three point plays but the conversion rate is like next to nothing because they don't play aggressively defense they're just they close out the space really quickly they're not looking to you know shoot a gap or shoot a lane to get a steal and give up wide open shots it's all about containing and that is the name of the game like you you said it perfectly like that is like don't 
play outside yourself. Play within the exactly. game. And I think Miami has a tendency sometimes to play outside of themselves. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent. That's a great point. I think that 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 is the key. I am gonna take and you're gonna be electric for this game. You're playing the one C. Yeah. You're not supposed to be here. You know. Like you've got you've had a, a week to really build it up in your mind and like, you know, like, oh shit, we can we can do this thing. You've got Larinaga, who's a great March coach though, who does a good job of keeping them in the in the moment. We'll see. I I think Houston wins this one, but I I don't hate a potential sprinkle on Miami. Let's talk. Sasser versus Wong. That's yep. the matchup. Yeah. I like it. That's the keys to the game, folks. You heard it here. Um, all right. I am taking off my biggie Xavier bias hat. <laughs> it's off, folks. So prepare for this statement. This Xavier versus Texas game has the potential to be the greatest game of the entire weekend. If both teams play to their capabilities. The guard play you're about to witness in this game could be absolutely electric, my friends. Offensively, what you could see in this game, it's a four-point spread. Texas is the favorite, over under 40 and eight and a half. Xavier's got those dudes. Every one of their players can play outside from the rim. You've seen Sule Boom all season be an electric factory. You saw Kunkel finally find his shot. Colby Jones is the most underrated NBA prospect there is. That's Xavier's forever. Then you've got Texas, who just has dudes after dudes after dudes that can score from everywhere on the field. My concern is about the consistency of Xavier's offense right now. I think they're going to be okay because we saw them figure it out, which was a weird thing in the tournament to begin with. I don't know if you noticed this, but like I saw it today. It was like one of the lowest three-point conversion rates in tournament history. Like hey, Maybe the rims are bad or something, but like... It, it, unless you hit two threes. Yeah, it, it's it's not great. But this Texas Xavier game, I I'm not saying this lightly. I truly believe it could be the best game of the potential weekend on that Friday o'clock night. If both teams show up playing their best brand of basketball, the guard play you're about to see is unreal. And that is what March is about. It's about the guard play. Now who could win this game? I think both teams are very capable. My gut is telling me Texas, but you I'm putting my Xavier big cap biasy cap back on it's all about x baby okay um uh, i think we're gonna split <laughs> on our I like uh, after all that touches yeah okay whatever <laughs> our um analysis here a little bit uh i don't think it's xavier's offense you need to be worried about i think it's how consistent can xavier play defense i don't disagree will lead it's what everybody's saying the musketeers downfall in this game no Texas is just average on defense. They're not great. And we know that Xavier can get hot. And you will be looking at a team that's hitting long mid-ranges and wide-open threes because you're not getting back defensively enough. On the other hand, the talent that is just oozing out of the long corner uh, program is nothing to sneeze at. I think that um, I think that Xavier definitely has a chance to win this game. Xavier definitely has a chance to knock off number two. I think a Sean Miller, it's the it's the free flowing of Xavier versus the steadying the tide of Texas that's making this hard this game hard for me to pick because. Will Sean's, can Sean Miller's crew stick to their game plan, 
let the guards move in and out of the paint, get it, you know, kicking it back out for the three. Or will Texas muck that up and then score enough points that Xavier can't recover? I really don't know. My heart is saying I want to pick X because, uh, you know, two of my two of the best people I know went there. They're X fans, <laughs> so that's what makes me want to pick. But like my basketball brain is like Texas has this game. See, I I don't a hundred percent disagree. I do disagree. I think there is a somewhat overhyping of the Xavier's defensive woes. Because since Fremantle has... Fremantle, God bless him. I love him. He's a great offensive player. But man, does he have a lot of brain farts defensively, which leads to a lot of holes defensively. Hunter being a starter, Jerome Hunter, being in the starting role and the effort player that he's become. He should have won sixth man of the year in the Big East. That was criminal that he didn't get it. I think the voters were drunk when they voted because I don't understand how he did not get that, but that's neither here nor there. Talk about a guy who turned his career over. He was getting booed last year when he stepped on the court because of the way he played and just throwing up incredibly bad like 18 points a game right yeah and now he's an absolute beast because he stopped chucking up threes and started playing within himself and he is a problem on the court and he's an he he is the definition of it is not it's not the size of the dog but the size of the fight in the dog like that should be his freaking motto because the dude just all out hustles everywhere we have defensively gotten better but I still agree with you that there is an inconsistency there that that concerns me. But this past weekend, we saw that stops were made when we need to get stops. We saw why Sean Miller has a claim to potentially the the um, you know king of March and waiting because he has now won eight straight round of thirty two games. That is now only three coaches have longer winning streaks: Dean Smith, Coach K. John Calipari, pretty good company right there to have won a game in the round of 32. So, like, he gets it done. Now can he elevate us past it? I think this game comes down to a final possession, and that is where this really scares me because Xavier has had two games, Indiana was one of them, where it came down to a final possession, and both times we pissed down our legs and either turned over the ball or got one of the worst shot opportunities I have ever seen coming out of a timeout. I think I could have gotten my like five-year-old nephew to come up with a better play. Like my good friend's four-year-old could have dr- could have drawn up a better play than what we came up with in the final fi- for our final shot. So that does scare me. I think the whole like you said is correct. The defensive inconsistency. But my God, yeah. if Xavier brings their game. It's an over game. It's an over game for sure. I think this is an over game. We're going to see an over here. We're going to see a lot of points here, I think. It also might be our first game we see going to overtime. I don't disagree with that. If it goes to overtime, we're screwed. I will say that right now. If it goes to overtime, Xavier is screwed. (laughs) But yes. (laughs) It's like, so you like, you watch Marcus Carr play, right? Yeah. And and Texas outscores opponents 10 points and they're averaging 10 more points in the paint. Yeah. Which is not, Again, not the game that Xavier is trying to play, but not the game, and not a game that they can't play, right? Right. It's just not the game that they're tr- they're trying not to play. Um, but on the flip side, like Sule is just as good as Marcus Carr. Um, and so is it? Then does it become a game of like the sum of you know the whole? Is Texas's whole better than Xavier's? 
And if that's the case, where is this game won? Is it one on the glass? Is it one in the paint? Um, I don't think that this game is one on the perimeter. I don't disagree with that. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I really like the over. I am. I. I told. I'm telling the listeners. I'm putting. This is my bias hat speaking. I am going to bet Xavier to win this game because I. I cannot in my right mind not. But I think the play here is the over. I think. I think it's going to be an electric factory of just really good guard play, and it's going to be a really, really, really fun game to watch. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm putting any money on the game, but I might take overtime. Oh, I don't hate it. I do not hate it. I, I think this will come down to a final possession type of deal, or like you said, head into overtime. Which now begs the question, does the winner of this game, just like in the East, propel themselves to the Final Four? Or, or does Houston give us the middle finger and say, ha-ha, folks, we weren't the weakest one. That was Purdue this whole time. We are making the Final Four run. I think they've already said that, but here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. If the Xavier and Texas game goes into overtime and it's Texas versus Houston and Z- or Xavier versus Houston, I think the game's not close. I think the team is too ga- – I think either team is too gassed For sure, to stand Xavier. up to – Yep. Yeah, and we saw them in the Big East tournament. They made it to the finals, and their legs weren't there, and they were they had good looks, but they just – they couldn't shoot the ball whatsoever. So I don't – that's a great take. Yes, I agree with that. With that said, if either of these play, teams play Miami, Miami's too small. Yeah, Miami's screwed. <laughs> Miami, Miami is so is dead. <laughs> it's, screwed. it's been a fun story, Miami, but if Miami pulls the upset here and beats Houston, Miami might as well not even get off the bus for this. whoever comes out of this game. <laughs> yeah, don't come out the, to the tunnel. Even overtime, I think Miami still loses this game. Yeah, no. It's closer <laughs> if there's an overtime. But yeah. Miami just does not have the personnel to be either of these teams. Uh, I don't disagree with that at all. I don't think we even have to spend a lot of time. No. On That's it. it, it That's yeah. all. That's a wrap. <laughs> um, all right. Final bracket. A good one. I mean, talk about getting. Yo, boys, I think... you said UConn. You were very high on the Huskies. So high on the Huskies. I, the Huskies in my work bracket are my national championship. You came on here and talked me out of them when they play UCLA, which I think was very good reasoning and great rationale um, because it, it certainly could be there. UConn's playing Kansas. Or Kansas. Arkansas. Arkansas. Should have been playing Kansas. Should have been playing Kansas, yes. Playing Arkansas. Arkansas. Excuse me. Yeah. Hold up now. Um, we've been to back-to-back Elite Eights. We know what to do in this tournament. The line's at three. Over-unders at 139. This is going to be a really fun game, too, I think, if Arkansas can play their style of brand. But I have concerns about them dealing with the length and size of UConn and their ability to prevent UConn from doing what they do virtually every game, and that is get tons and tons of second opportunities. So if they don't convert on their first opportunity, they are the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. Can Arkansas stop that? And I don't think that's going to happen. (laughs) So just like we talked in the K-State-Michigan State game, right? we got an incredible matchup against Arkansas. For Hawkins and Davis, right? Yes, sir. Hawkins of of Arkansas and Davis of of the Huskies. With that said, the one thing that Arkansas doesn't have that 
Hawkins does have in his back pockets is a Sonogo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in my mind, I just heard that scene in the Avengers where where uh, Loki's <laughs> listing off all the things and Robert Downey's like, yeah, but we have a Hulk. That's exactly, exactly. what that is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that while this will be a close game, don't get me wrong, I think UConn does it because we are talking about one of the most dominant performers in the tournament scoring 52 points <laughs> over the weekend going 24 for 33 yeah arkansas is not doing that and if you think that sonogo is slowing down oh no that is not going to happen. No. And then when he comes <laughs> off, you've got another seven-footer coming into the game. Like, it's just, it's a nightmare down there to deal with. It's and, a nightmare. And Arkansas plays some of the weirdest basketball I've ever seen, where, like, they won't set up their offense a lot of times. They'll, like, rush a shot, or they'll get to the paint and then pass it out to, like, a shooter who doesn't really shoot threes. Like, a lot of times I remember watching that game, and they were like, oh, that's just his second three of the year that he made. Okay, he shouldn't be shooting threes out there. Why are we giving the ball to him? <laughs> so, uh, I think, just like I talked about in the Michigan State game, right, the Michigan State-Kansas State, where you're, where you're talking about – yeah, Noel and Walker or Noel and Hogarth, fine. We can lock him down. But can you lock down Keontae Johnson? It's literally the same thing. Can you lock down um, Sonogo or Hawkins? Pick your poison. Yep. And once again, I, I think I, I'm going to say the exact same thing I've been saying all the time. UConn goes as far as their point guard play goes. And it was good enough. But I don't think to everything you just said is 100% accurate. I don't think this is the game where UConn has problems and they get turned over, which is the reason why I, I did let you talk me out of it because I was like, you know what? That, that is true. Yeah, that UCLA, UCLA will absolutely be able to do that. Arkansas does not have the horses to do that. They don't play yeah. that style of basketball to be able to do that. That UCLA-UConn, if that happens, UCLA isn't worried about so no, They may let – him score as many points as he wants. What they're going to do is stop the guards. Yep, 100%. 100% agree with that. Um, so I think we're in, in sort of unison here. It's it's a UConn Elite Eight that we're going to be seeing coming out of that top side. Or, or, do we think Arkansas has a shot, or are we both, we both riding home? Arkansas has a shot in the sense that Arkansas has the same shot Michigan State has against Kansas State. Whereas... I still think comfortably Kansas State wins that game, but don't be surprised if Michigan State wins. Same thing with UConn, Arkansas here. I think UConn wins this game comfortably, but don't be so, like it, it's not a huge upset if Arkansas wins. Yeah. All right. But our, what, what we're picking here for the for the, the the listener, UConn is winning this game. Yes. All right. We're on the same page there. I, I like that. All right. Let's talk a little UCLA Bruins versus Gonzaga. Line is two. Over under 145 and a half. I think that line is too low. I don't disagree. I talk to me about this game. We had this game correctly picked. We said yes. this was going to be the matchup. My argument before the tournament start was at some point, Gonzaga's defensive efforts are going to have to bite them in the butt. UCLA showed exactly what we talked about. They are an incredibly disciplined basketball team. They are they play within their system. Mick Cronin has done a great job of coaching this team up who has dealt with some injury issues. But this is a big-time matchup on Thursday night at 945. Talk to me about what you see for this game. 
Tiger. Can't we? You got a man named Tiger out there. <laughs> but you've said it. And I like Michigan State had a chance to beat Gonzaga on, a, on the last second. But you watched uh, Madi just dominate Timmy at certain points in that game. You watched TCU make Timmy win the game for Gonzaga, right? Gonzaga does not play good defense. Gonzaga is not worried about taking you out your game. Gonzaga is worried about playing their game. Guess what? UCLA is going to play their game. <laughs> yes. That, I mean, Gonzaga's <laughs> whole game is like, we're just going to boat race you. And UCLA is like, no, we are going to play super disciplined. We're not going to get outside of our headspace. We're not going to, if there's a, you know, a big, you know, 8-0, 10-0 run, get panicked and piss down our leg. We're going to continue to play our brand of basketball. And that's why I... I don't know. I just, I think this is vulnerable spot for Gonzaga here. It, it. I don't see a path forward, Riley. Outside no, of them I just boat roasting the hell out of UCLA, and UCLA has like another injury or something happened in this game. Like outside of that, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being illogical about it, but that's how I see it. <laughs> Again, when we're talking about, when we're talking, when you're a casual fan and you're talking about the Zags. Name me the player that you're going to talk about, and you're going to say Drew Timmy. Whereas if I'm a casual person and I'm talking about UCLA, I know Tiger and I know Jaquez. Jaquez, I know that they have the most volatile guard combination in America right now. Yeah. And like I said, they just their brand of basketball is so disciplined. It's just it. you're not going – with so many of these other teams, There's there's an – there's a liability that they're going to get outside of what they want to do. And they're going to, you know, we talk about this all the time in football. Like what, what style is going to win out? You know, is it going to be the air raid? Is it going to be the power? Like whatever it is. That's, and, and that's true in basketball too. What style is going to win out? I just, I don't see a way that Gonzaga makes UCLA so uncomfortable. They get outside of themselves. They don't have it. They don't have the defense. Yeah. The they defense just don't. Prowess. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, UCLA is in some powerhouse offensively. They are very good. They're still good, like very good. I don't. Like want, you said discipline. Yeah, I, I don't want to get that like out of the way. Like they're still very comparable. I think we so often talk about their their defense and their discipline. They're still a very good offensive team, but it's that discipline. It's that base and discipline where they don't take stupid shots. They they're very efficient in converting their opportunities. Um, like their their conversion rates are just they're out of this world. Like compared to what. The amount, the the few shots they're getting up. Um, so they play at you know the 281st pace right now, but their efficiency numbers top 15 in the country. Like they just they convert what they're trying to do, um, and then defensively they're a nightmare. So yeah, I'm with you. I think this is the op- this is the point where and it happens every March for these teams that rely too heavily on offense. At some point you got to play some defense, um, and Gonzaga just doesn't have has not shown that ability. So that then lines us up with what we were predicting. We virtually nailed this bracket outside of Kansas. Now, I do want to clear something. Oh, yeah. For people who, who want to go back. I did. We did split here. We went for the Trophy Kids bracket. We went with Gonzaga. But I did have TCU beating the Zags here. Yes. Yeah. 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 That is true. Now, we have UCLA-UConn as the Elite Eight matchup. We've been p- pretty good in this bracket. Yes. 
Do we still believe our analysis last week was the correct analysis, or has anything changed in your opinion about what we could get in this Elite Eight game? So we kind of split here. I'll let you talk me into to UConn, right? Because um, you watched them more. I haven't watched enough UCLA games. I have UCLA winning in some of my other brackets, like winning the whole thing in some of my other brackets. With that said, I think the hype coming off that coming coming off beating Arkansas and the X factor being UCLA is going to play a very disciplined, very um, uh, measured offensive approach versus a UConn team that is going to try to exploit every little seam and nook and cranny that they can. I think UConn does overpower UCLA and squeaks by to get. And when I say overpower, I mean like they're doing it <laughs> force in the last two minutes of the yeah, game. Absolute brunt force. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to overcome UCLA and make it to the final four. Here's my concern. And I'm almost a bigger believer. It's so funny because we've, talked each other out of our initial thinking (laughs) my concern is the same as it is that allowed you to talk me into this it's how far can can newton take this team because everywhere else is good and newton's a very good player like i feel really bad because i I've, i've zoned in on him but it it comes down to that point guard play and not turning over the ball and being efficient and it comes down to what we just saw with michigan state marquette in the fact that ucla is going to be incredibly disciplined Dan Hurley is a bit of a hothead. We have seen him lose games in the Big East because Dan Hurley loses his mind, and that loses them games because then the players don't calm down, they start to make dumb mistakes, and it just domino effects into them losing. Does that happen in this game? I don't know, but I I very much see the possibility based on the discussion we had last week, based on seeing what Michigan State did to Marquette, because I think there's a very similar path for UCLA doing a very similar thing, even though those two teams are different. But once again, two strong guards. Correct. But if if Newton shows up and he plays good basketball, he doesn't turn over the ball. UConn's going to win that game. But if they start to play outside of themselves, if Dan Hurley starts to lose his mind because they get frustrated about this super disciplined UCLA team, well, and that's what I'm saying. UConn is going to gamble. Yes, it's 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 a gamble, and that's but they have to do that to win. They, they have, have to, to do. In order to You're win right. this game, they have to gamble. You're 100 percent right. It, it's a gamble, and and that is I'm going to take the safer play in UCLA because you talked me into it. And I, I I think <laughs> your logic makes sense. I had to check myself because I was like, you know what? I might be too hot on UConn. I was way too hot on them last year. Maybe I am too hot on UConn. I think your logic makes 100% chance, but they have the upside factor. They do. If you're a better and you come into that game and UCLA's favored, it might be worth putting some money down on UConn because they have the upside. You know, we talk about that in the NFL draft. The QB that has all the upside versus the one that is more of a finished, polished product. That's what we got here. We got UCLA, the finished, polished product. We got the team that has a super high ceiling, but could also have a really low basement. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's like it's like when the when the student beats the master, not because the master is bad. It's because the master is trying to wait for the student to make certain moves that the student doesn't even know needs to be made. Yeah, and that's what can happen here, right? UConn can come at them at an angle that's just. UCLA doesn't know what to do with. Like UCLA is like, well, we're going to play this game. 
I don't know what game UConn is playing. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. I like that analogy. That is a good one. Um, all right, and you you get you get beat. But I yeah. So we have flipped on this. I'm gonna take UConn, but you're riding with UCLA. Yep. I like that we flipped. I, I do too. It's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> we'll flip. We'll flip again. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll probably be having text wars here, yeah. setting this up. Like, oh shoot, how do I bet this now? Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of fun basketball on this side of the bracket between the Arkansas UConn game, then the Gonzaga UCLA game, then that Elite yeah, Eight game. What's the worst game here? Either Alabama, San Diego, or FAU Tennessee? I think so. Yeah, I think everything else is like there's just I'm very excited for a lot of these games. Like this is the one nice thing. Like we had good upsets. I like that that trend continued, but it's a pretty chalky bracket. Like I think a lot of people got a lot you of reasons. You would say that. I mean, hell, look you at... You got a lot of threes and twos, though. But all those made sense outside of okay. Arizona. Like, if you look yeah. at that division down here in the West... You like, got a six versus 15 in the East, in the South. But outside... Like, for example, what in the West, if Arkansas yeah. or Arkansas doesn't win that game, we have a one, four, two, and three. <laughs> like... Okay, like That's That's all a chalk. seven and three and a nine and four in the East. Yeah, but then in the Midwest, you've got a one... Three, two, five. Who just beat the four? Like the right side of the bracket. Yeah, is very chalky. I guess is yes. what I'm trying to say. Which then we said, what are the worst matchups? And all the worst matchups are on the left side of the bracket. Yes, the, the left side of the bracket. Yes, is bonkers. The, so I will agree with you that the right side is very chalky. I would not agree and say that this is a chalky tournament. I guess now I, that doesn't mean that this. This can't end up a chalky tournament. This could easily end with Alabama versus um, K State for. Yeah, and I guess that's the part I should preface a little bit. There's national like it's chalky, but then because we still had a good mix of upsets, there's still a good little balance of like a couple Cinderellas in there, which makes Mm -hmm. that left side not chalky, but the right side is just like, yeah, okay, (laughs) like that all played out about as we saw. Yeah. Um, Oh, and just so so for the listeners, the final four we're predicting here is Texas. UCLA, Alabama, K-State? Yep. That is the one that we had projected going in. Our final four is still intact. Our right side of the bracket is looking good. Everything's still intact that way. So we're overall looking pretty solid. There's just a few that we really whiffed on. In our defense, Memphis got absolutely screwed in their one because had that not happened, holy moly, could you, you, we would have gotten Memphis versus FDU and then Memphis versus Tennessee. Like, our Memphis to the Elite Eight would have been perfect. We would have knocked that out of the park. (laughs) There was no way they were dropping the next two games. That last call was crazy. I was, I literally, no lie, I was standing on the couch. You know what's crazy is there was, there was so much good crazy that happened. We forgot to talk about UVA Furnham. Like, I'm looking at this bracket, and we didn't even talk about the dumbest pass in the history of, of college basketball. I, the Furman player was like, he just freaking <laughs> threw it to me. <laughs> and from an older, more mature player, too. Like, that's... I, what is it with Tony Bennett? I feel like they just do the dumbest... And we saw that when they lost to UMBC, where it's like they just kind of panicked and threw that game away, too. Where it's like either they're they're super straight-edge ready to rock and roll, or they just don't know how to play tight-knit basketball in, in key situations. Like, what is it about that? It's The moment is too big to keep going with your pissing down the leg analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tony panics. when it Look, when Michigan State took that injured 
team to the Elite Eight and maybe to the Final Four when we beat UVA and they were, what, the number two seed or whatever, Mm -hmm. it literally was that. He got too afraid of Tom Izzo and let Izzo exploit him. And, And, yeah, and you're – your Cinderella team. Same thing happened to that UConn team we beat, and then they turned right around and beat us. Yep. <laughs> but the same thing. You let the you let the 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 phantom of the moment take you out of the game. Yeah, I just thought we were past that once they finally got their national championship. That like, okay, they're over the hump. Their players are going to be more prepared going forward. They're not going to continue to do this. And nope, they're right back to either. It's it's it is a uh, win it all or bust on the first round mentality for UVA, which honestly, at least you know what you're getting. They're consistent. <laughs> it's either we're getting Every out of the time, first weekend. You know, if they and make it out of the first weekend, we probably, <laughs> we're probably going to the final four. <laughs> yeah. So at least they're consistent. Um, all right. Anything else before we wrap this up? No, I can't wait. I'm, I am a little upset that the kickoff game is Michigan State, K-State, but you know I'm ready. Uh, this is true. This is very true. Um, all righty. We will talk to you all next week. Hopefully, we've given you some good information this time. Creighton is my bet of the week. We'll see how it plays. And as always, pace. Pace. Nice.